Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. We are live. Neil Atkinson, John Gibbons, Melissa Reddy at the top of the tower. John Gibbons, teenage dirtbag. Oh, yeah. She oh, know yeah. What she's she does not know what she's missing <laughs> if she isn't listening to Radio City Talk at half past six on a Friday. It's been ages and ages since we've been live. Liverpool's evening looks fantastic across the skyline right now. It is absolutely cracking the flags. Mel, it's dropped dead gorgeous. You've had the camera out. Yeah sensational view if you've ever been to liverpool and want to soak it all in i suggest getting to the top of the tower getting a brilliant panoramic view and on a day like this it's the best place to be in liverpool i think it is indeed the city's a magnificent form we're produced today by dave downey whose facebook videos are that of legend today <laughs> there will always be that period in your life before dave downey's facebook videos <laughs> and that period in your life after them you'll remember the defining moments between the two uh, i love a bit of that uh, it transpires uh, as it wears along uh, they'll be they'll be available for you until dave gets tired of the joke and deletes them in about 20 minutes um, <laughs> He may well be Liverpool's most hungover man, which will place him high in the running for most hungover man worldwide (laughs) at this stage of proceedings. But listen, we've got to talk about the misery uh, guts factor of this. We're going to be talking, obviously, about Stoke versus Liverpool, but we have to, have to, have to talk about uh, Liverpool dropping points against Bournemouth. We're going to be having a chat about the Liverpool Photography Festival as well. That's coming up after seven o'clock for you. So Stoke to close the show. A little bit of photography for you before then. But between now and seven o'clock, we're going to be looking back at Bournemouth and John Gibbons. What kills me about it, really, more than anything else, if you know, is it, 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 it's the reinforcement of this psychological factor and the ongoing knock-on effect when Liverpool have got a, have got the games to go that they've got. Yeah, it's a few things that have been reinforced, isn't it? It's the Liverpool struggle without Mane. It's the Liverpool struggle against this type of team, and they can only be the big ones. And there's obviously the, the defensive kind of frailties as well. And so it's it's a frustrating night where where. You know, just a routine win would have you felt done the team a world of good going into you know a couple of away games now and just just frustrating really. That a that they they conceded how they did that second one and then they didn't seem to have anything in them to kind of throw the kitchen sink at Bournemouth either. Just just a really frustrating night just coming away from it because they had the game one or two one and and you know it was it, it looked kind of pretty much dead and buried. They looked more likely to score you know the, the third but. They, they couldn't get it done and then to, to, to clearly come away with a point and it's one point from Bournemouth which is a pretty poor return 
I think the interesting thing for me was the psychological factor going into the game, even before everything materialised and, and we look at it now, but when Klopp was speaking about the run-in, starting at Bournemouth, he said, we've got to win ugly. It's not about performance. It about, it's about results. We have yeah. to think about defending first. And I think regardless of what materialised, that was the underlying sort of psyche going into the game. So when Felipe Coutinho feels ill and has to be replaced on 65 minutes, Liverpool were in the ascendancy in the game. Bournemouth, for Bournemouth, all, all intents and purposes, the game was done already. It, it seemed that way, like Gibbo said, you always felt that Liverpool were going to score again. And that change, bringing on Joel Matip, drastically changed the mentality of both sides because Liverpool had this, we're going to hold, and Bournemouth thought to themselves, okay, if that's what you want to do, well, we're going to try and push for the leveller here. It's, I mean, the, the manager's attitude in general to changes across the season has been really interesting, Mel. I mean, and that's, that, that, that's a general sort of conversational point, one which people might be touching on come the end of the season. But what I would say is it's probably, certainly at that stage of the game, it's his first backward step this season, and it felt like a really strange moment to take it. There's been other games where you could, where Liverpool have been under more pressure. Uh, there's been a host of them games that they've gone on and won games that they've gone on to lose. But he's never gone so dramatically, uh, he's never made such a, such a dramatic negative change. That's not to say that, that a negative change is inherently bad. Yeah. You know, Gerard Hule used to make negative yeah, changes. Yeah. Benitez used to make negative changes. But they felt part of the makeup. Whereas this one, it just sort of didn't. It felt like, well, the solution to killing the game here is to do this this thing that I've not, I've not really done before. And you could even see for five minutes, the players were talking amongst themselves. Not quite clear exactly who was meant to be where and why. And that was also quite troubling as well. Yeah. It, Klopp always highlights the fact that you've got to judge every game based on its own merit. So he gets a little annoyed when, you know, you group Liverpool against these type of teams because he says every single encounter, the problems they had were different or whatever. So why he didn't judge that game and at that particular moment on its circumstances, I can't, you know, answer that question. Only he can. But you're right, it did seem bizarre. It, it wasn't in keeping with the flow of the game. And Eddie Howe afterwards, he was asked about in the press conference a change and he didn't want to directly criticise well, a manager. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he, he did say, you know, natural instinct is if you put on another centre-back and you've got a lead, you will, the players naturally will, will drop deeper. And if they're dropping deeper, the opposition are then thinking, hold on, <laughs> You know, we're not going to lose out if, if if we try and have a go here. And, you know, that's what happened. I think it's odd as well to then concede and to go back into the to the uh, mindset of we need to attack, you know, give a like what you're saying, go and throw the kitchen sink. When you've adjusted and you thought mm. we're going to hold and, and, you know, roll up the, s- the sleeves and get gritty here and fight for this win. And you concede it's that shift. It's, it's quite a big one to make. And, and given that Liverpool was so, um, you know, denied of their creative talents, I think it was that much harder. Yeah, it was, you uh, kind of hit the nail on, on, on the head there. We're talking about big confusion in players and not really knowing kind of to stick or twist. You saw Wijnaldum looking over to, to say, well, do you want me to be more attacking now? Or what is it? Is it up to me to kind of, you know, so he went into the front three, but I don't think he was, you know, if you call it a three, four, three, he was in that front three, but I don't think he was, he was really 
getting forward any more than he did he was anyway really he had sort of had a natural inclination to kind of try and support the midfielders behind him and get in there and they just they just always seemed a bit unsure of themselves after the change but I actually thought that they settled down a little bit after after some initial kind of confusion there's one that goes straight across the face almost straight away and I'm kind of more frustrated with the fact that there weren't more changes to the fact that the one that there was. Yeah, it was, yeah it was, so it was a strange sub, but I didn't agree with it at the time. But then after about 10 minutes, I thought they'd actually kind of settled into the, the formation a little bit more, but there was players dead on the feet. And I think it's very unusual that for me, that uh, Klopp said in his press conference today that, um, that Firmino has been overplayed because, you know, we, would take he could have took him off on seventy there because he looked absolutely dead on his feet and I understand why he wants to keep Firmino on because of the work he does and because how busy he is and because he's a good player but he wasn't able to offer any of that by that stage he was he was he was sort of a waste of a share by that point and that might seem harsh and I'm not criticising he just didn't have anything left to offer for the team and so you think well he had a big game against Everton yeah exactly yeah I'm not criticising him it's it's the, you know he's I'm sure he'll you know he'll be, he'll be back ready to go on Saturday but it's it's the idea of well. You know, you've given Trent Alexander-Arnold that big moment to Keith Everton. Just put him on and ask him to do the same thing. You know, the energy would have bought, even if it's just someone just to run around and you're maybe not going to get the quality that Firmino offers on the ball in normal circumstances, but even just someone just to be busy. And I think he would have a change like that, a Trent or even a Ben Woodburn, I think would have revitalised this foot and would have given them a lot more to think about. Or storage, because at that yeah. sort of point, the way in which we'd set up, if you are going to be reflexive, well, you may as well have the quality yeah. right in front of goal because there was a couple of times we're going to go to a break in a minute Mel but one of the things that struck me about the fatigue question was just slight errors and slight errors in defence which led to conceding now we've seen errors in defence all season and we'll come back and we'll talk about that after the break but in counter-attacking now we've seen some errors in that but one of the reasons why for instance you do make errors counter-attacking late in the game is tiredness yeah, and I was yeah. just looking at it thinking all this needs you know this is before they before they equalise I'm just looking at it thinking all this needs is just one moment of quality from someone uh, and some at a greater legs or one moment of quality from someone and as I say it isn't just that the initial change but it is that there isn't then the next thing that we do yeah, the the freshness point is, is a big one. And when you bring someone in, you know, the guys that have been watching the game and against Burnley, when Coutinho was off colour, on 60 minutes he introduced Ben Woodburn. So he's not scared to make these kind of changes. He's shown, yeah. you know, with Trent Alexander-Arnold in the, in the derby that he can make them. And you think these guys are all watching the game. So they've got a picture sort of of what's needed if, if I come on, this is you know, we need to be clearer in these sort of actions or whatever. So uh, quite disappointing, I think, that he went with the the defensive change so early and then didn't do anything after that. We're going to talk after the break about the defender and we'll also try to accentuate one or two of the slight positives, i.e. Divock Origi. Uh, that is coming up. Uh, this is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. Don't go anywhere. It is indeed the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson, and John Gibbons and Melissa ready with you until half past seven. After the break, we're going to be looking forward to Stoke, but we're still picking the ball, the bones out of Bournemouth, not the Bournemouth out of bones. Uh, doesn't <laughs> just doesn't work that way around that thing. Uh, it is in defence, John. There's again, you will, you worry about the knock-on effects. Liverpool can see the fact having two shots on targets across the whole game, and both of them end up in the back of the net. Um, and you're now looking at an entire season, really, where. 
I think there's a number of factors. I think the lack of stability at the back's been an issue. Uh, and you got to actually see that the other night when Matip from nowhere gets himself a back injury. So now he can't start. You know, the idea that could play the same back four, back to back goes. Um, and it's just not been the case for ages, be, being able to settle into a, a first choice back four. That's a problem. But there is sort of the the question mark, the issue is whether or not, whether or not Liverpool have just managed to amass particularly error-prone defenders. Yeah, we we seem to defend well until we don't. And I think that's a, a frustrating thing because you're watching them and you're thinking, well, actually, they look quite comfortable here. And then there's there's a mistake. And I don't, I don't know where that comes from. And I don't know how you, you coach that out of it, of a player who can look like he's... You know he's 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 a fine defender one minute and then and then the next minute he's he's got you frust- you know frustrated. I think as a team, I think we could be a bit more proactive about how we how are defending generally. I think you know there's sometimes watching us, I don't feel like we're losing a lot of second balls. But then I don't think I mean I mean every supporter probably thinks they don't win enough second balls. You know what I mean? And but we, we, with us, we we it does seem to be when when we're tiring a bit maybe, or or when we're we're dropping deeper, or we're getting nervous. You know, we're not we're not quite snapping at those second balls that we should be. And so I don't know. I don't know what it is about how 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 you solve it. Whether it's just it's new players, but these are the ones we have at the moment, really. And it just seems to be it just lapses in concentration that you know frustrate you. I think there's knock-on effects, Mel. I think part of the reason why Liverpool make mistakes in certain scenarios is because they sort of have used to making mistakes in certain scenarios. And I think that you can't underestimate the cleansing impact that a new season can have on the one hand, but on the other hand, it therefore if you do begin to go down the same. Uh, the, 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 the same four hours again, you end up going, well, this is now just like last season. And yeah. and this is where, you know, I think that, <clears throat> I don't think that you can, and, and the Liverpool manager wouldn't want us to sit here and have a conversation about solving a problem in the market. But you do sort of think that one one change there at the back of a player who comes in with real with real presence, who gets to sort of say, no, I'm, who almost gets to lie to them, if you know what I mean, in a sense, gets them to lie to themselves. This fellow's coming in now and he's going to, almost what Rodgers tried to do with Lovren, but it didn't work because because Lovren had, I found it difficult at first. He, he looks better now, but the idea to sort of go, and know this fellow's coming in and he's going to play centre-back for you and he's terrific and this is what he's going to do. And you do sort of think that that may just be now what we're having to wait for because because the, the, the issues around whether it's tiredness, whether it's lack of focus, whether it's just being used to it, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I think there's definitely a search for a top centre-back. I think the issue Liverpool will have with that is that every club, every major European club is in the market for a centre-back. And there's going to be a mad scramble. I think it was like two summers ago where every European club were desperate for a striker. This is that, but with centre-backs. And you've already seeing, I see it in, in Sierra, where clubs are already starting to plan for life without their top centre-backs, looking at other targets because they're certain that these guys are going to move on. So it'll be interesting to see who they actually are able to attract because I think, you know, Chelsea definitely in for one. United want one. City are in for, uh, for centre-backs as well. So just in terms of the Premier League, it's difficult enough when before you then start factoring, uh, you know, Juventus starting to look and and those sort of things. But I think the continuity issue is a massive, massive one. You can't, yeah, you can't have any sort of base if you don't have continuity at the back. And, you know, you can go and buy another centre-back, but there's nothing to suggest that he's not going to get injured. I mean, if we look at Jordan Henderson, for example, it's just the last two seasons that he's had where, you know, 
it's, he's had all these setbacks before that. His injury history is flawless. So, you know, you can go and find somebody with, with a similar injury-free record, and then suddenly pff, he, he's in the same boat. So it's not always the answer. It's, I think it's, it's imperative that they do bring in more quality and somebody who does have a history. You know, you can't you can never predict these things, but at least has a history of, of being fit. I think the other issue is they're so fearful of making those mistakes and that actually leads to them uh, doing it again. Also, Liverpool's approach is inherently risky, the way they want to play. It's worth making that clear. Yeah, so you, you, you are going to invite individual errors. You are going to invite pressure. You are going to concede silly goals because of that. It's the same with City. Uh, it's the same with Borussia Dortmund, actually, if you still watch them play. Mm-hmm. Incredible going forward, <clears> but they do leave themselves open. And I think it was Pep who said when he was talking about John Stones and and that conversation, he said, if you have to play centre-back for me, I feel sorry for you because what I mm-hmm. demand of you and what you've got to deal with and the risk you've got to put yourself through, you know, the outside world doesn't understand, but I appreciate it. And I think it's similar at Liverpool. I think, that, I think that's perfectly fair, John. I just think that it's... It, I always sort of wonder the uh, the, the, the line I take, I take on a lot of this stuff as though uh, some Liverpool supporters might not like it, but what's in the back of my mind is, what would Alex Ferguson do? And the answer is sort of, go and pay 30 million quid for Rio Ferdinand. And that's, but that's, that, that, that's a good starting point, if you know what I mean. If, you try, if you're trying to sort of solve a problem whilst playing attacking football, the, the line-up, well, what would Alex Ferguson do is worth, 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 worth taking on board? Yeah, but as Mel says, you know, there's Manchester United, the Arsenal, the Chelsea, uh, you know, Manchester City probably want two centre-halves. So, you know, they're, they're, all, they're all out there, you know, looking for them. And I think what Liverpool will probably have to do is is to take a risk on someone who's a little bit younger than ideally you would because, you know, there might be ones that Chelsea is still maybe looking at, but we, we go in and get them. So it might be, you know, a, a slightly younger centre-half and then, and then people will get frustrated against you. You're not buying kind of, you know, proven quality and things like that. But I think I think that's probably what, they, what they'll have to do because um, because of, I think, you know, in terms of pace and things like that, what they'll want. So I think I think that's probably what will I'll end up happening. And, and I think you'll probably think, well... It's not necessarily someone to come in and re- replace either of the centre halves. I just want three of a similar quality, and I think that's a bit of a, a bit of a problem for us. I think I think Clavin's generally done okay, but he looks a fourth choice centre half. Whereas now he's there, and he's probably played more than then the he, manager yeah, would, yeah. Would, would, would have liked them too. So I think I think I don't think he's I don't think the manager's necessarily thinking I'm going to go out there and get this the absolute best centre half in the world. You know, there's this Rolls Royce. I think he's probably being a bit more practical. I think if I can get one as good as Lovin and Matter then I've got three of them, and then that should get me through. Um, on the positives from the game, the, Origi does well, John, and felt as though he's, he's, he, may, he may well be going to come on to talk about Stoke, but from now until the end of the, end of the season, I think building around him, keeping his confidence up, keeping him involved in the game, yeah. I think that's going to be key. I think, again, watching him against Bournemouth, he very much... He's a, he's a footballer you've got to get involved in the game and you keep him in, it's, it's, it's almost I'm trying to think of, of, of a decent metaphor really I can't quite get one I, I, I'm, I'm muddle around with toddlers and dogs you, can, <laughs> you get them involved and keep them involved and then before you know where you are he's actually able to, to be pretty dominant but he needs that. He almost needs that leg up he needs that first sort of 20 minutes of being looked after and then he gets into the, the, the flow of everything that's going on and then suddenly he can be really difficult to deal with yeah I think 
I think you're right. I think he, he has one where he just bounces off someone and holds it up well, and you think, oh, I, you know, Origi's at it today. And I think he is confident at the moment. So I think he feels a lot more confident in his game, a lot more confident in his body. He spoke well in the media, and I I don't always like it when people when players you know say what they're going to do because I think, well, do you do you talking on the pitch? But with someone like Origi, I do quite like it. I quite like that he's come out to say, no, I'll be a man now because I think we will need that. I think you will need kind of two or three players who maybe haven't had a huge impact this season for various reasons to kind of really step up now. And I'm glad the VG is saying, well, well, I'll be one of them, you know what I mean? Well, I'll me play me up front. And, and he scored two and two, you know, and, and you, you, you fancy with the VG, if he gets a run, he will, he will go close to a, a goal a game. And you think if he gets chances, you're confident he'll take it. And there's obviously elements of his game that he could improve, but, you know, give him a chance on Saturday and I'll, and I'll be, and I'll be, a, a, I'll be confident that he'll be, that he'll be in the position to score it, and B, I'm confident he'll put it away. And that's a nice thing to have for a striker. I think the love he's getting from the fans is also going down very well. I think it's doing wonders for him, especially since he spent, you know, a lot of the season being a bit part player. And he's 21 years old. I think he it was his 15th start in midweek of the season. He's got 10 goals. He got 10 goals in his debut season, which was also, by the way, like quite you know, the settling in period and mm. didn't go well for him at the start. And you think to yourself, if he actually strings a, a run of games together, he'll convert pretty much, you know, as many chances as he gets. He, even when he's playing badly, he has the ability to score. And I think of recent, he's been looking sharper, uh, f- fitter, and he's mentioned that himself, that he's feeling physically better than he felt a year ago. I yeah. think he, he took quite a long time to get over that ankle ligament damage. And now, if you look at his contributions, what is it? Two goals, two assists in the last five yeah. games. And that, you know, most of them were were off the bench. Um, I, I agree with Gibbo. I like somebody that, you know, even though he's so young and Liverpool find themselves in this situation where it's, it's a massive blow to lose Sadio Mane, but he's saying hang on, don't worry, you've got me. And I like that he he Mm. can do that. He can say, okay, my shoulders are big enough um, and I want the responsibility. And like we've said, two and two now. So I I think the sort of pressure and expectation and and the adoration and everything all mixes together and he's able to deliver. I'm moving forward as well, sort of moving backwards through the team, John. I actually thought that Emery Channel also had a good game. I think that you actually can mark, again, when Bournemouth begins to get into it a little bit more towards the end is when Emery begins to tire. Yeah. I thought he had real nuisance value. They, if, if I go as far as to say they didn't want to know that I'd overstated, but they were clearly... They were, they, they were clearly on there, you know, they were aware of, of all the things that Emre Chan does. And again, he manages just to sort of, to nuisance value his way through games at the moment. And that's that, you actually can't underestimate that. That's the sort of thing we arguably could have done more with, with more of in January. You don't want to play against them. No. You don't want to play against Emre. And you think about that, you know, you, we all focus on the things he can't do and the things maybe he's a bit sloppy at and the things he can improve. But if you think about playing against Emre Chan, you go, we've got this fella, he's what, six foot two, he's pretty wild, he's always there in your face and stuff. And then, you know, he's, he's trying mad things, always running at us now, he's going to have a shot. And he must be kind of a bit of a nightmare to play against, really, in terms of how all actually is. And, you know, you've got to, we're talking about injuries at the moment, you've got to respect, you know, a couple of them who are just like, they're just getting themselves out there. And you feel like, I'm sure, you know, you, you talk about, managers learn a lot about players when things aren't maybe going as, as well as you'd like and I think that that's a little bit like that at the moment just because of the injuries and I think I think 
the managers must have massive respect for him, right? That he's just good. You know, he says his body's one big bruise after that Everton game, but he's just just put me out there and I'll still just go around banging into people. Yeah, don't worry about it. And I think like Emery's got a big future at Liverpool as long as he wants it, I think, because I think the manager just sees him as someone who'll, who'll run through brick walls for him. More on Emery after the break of this is Radio City Talk, the Anfield rap, Neil Atkinson with Melissa Reddy and John Gibbons with you. Uh, we're going to have a chat about photography. We're going to have a little bit more of a chat about Bournemouth. We're going to talk about the top four picture and then obviously we're going to look at Stoke. This is the Anfield Wrap. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, Radio City Talk. This is the Anfield Wrap. We'll be back live uh, with John, etc. in a second or two. But before then, I'm talking to Liverpool photographer Michael Kirkham. He's on, worked on this project, Urban Goals, which is, explores areas in inner cities where football is played. Uh, so you, I think if you get this right, Michael, you've taken a picture of practically every goal you can find across the inner city of the UK. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Certainly in Liverpool, yeah. Um... I've taken about 800 now, all, all over the UK, yeah. And there's still a few places to visit as well. Um, so you just trail around the city looking for a sort of, like a goal, a goal post or something that people yeah, are using? Yeah, a goal post painted onto a wall or uh, an old rusty one in a field, you know. As long as it's a uh, public use and yeah. any, anyone can come and kick a football around and play, play a game there, then... That, that's fair game as far as I'm concerned, you know. And why why did you choose to do this? This is part of, this is being shown, I'll go into the details in a minute, but, but this is being shown as part of Liverpool's International Photography Festival, Look mm-hmm. 17, which starts today, the 7th of April, uh, Michael. But why did you why, why, why did you decide to pursue this project? The urban Goals, I mean, it, it was born from the idea of trying to show the urban goals of the children u- using, you know, uh, their, own, their own sort of what they aspire to in life, whether it be a footballer or whether it be a you know, a banker or a construction yeah. worker or whatever, you know. And so it stems from there. Yeah. And, and what have you found when you've, you've been going around pulling the work together? What's, what, 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 have you, what have you taken from it and what are you hoping to put in your exhibition, which is going to be at the Central Library? I'm, I'm hoping that the images, you know, when seen as a series, certainly, it's, um, it highlights all the issues that, that are there in, in modern society, the isolation, um, social and economic disparities that we have going on to this day. I mean, some of these goals are, are 30, 40 years old, you can tell, and, you know, there's no change. Yeah. There's no change in this neighbourhood. You know, it's just the same old thing, you know? Uh, so just to go to this part of the whole sort of International Photography Festival, it starts on the 7th of April and it runs right the way into May uh, here. Your exhibition uh, runs until the 27th? 27th of April, yeah. It's um, Liverpool Central Library, which is open from 9am to 8pm. Yep. Uh, I believe. I think it is, yeah, every day. Yeah, every day, yeah. Um, so yeah, it runs until the 27th, yeah. And... You haven't quite finished it yet, which is really exciting. Uh-huh, I think it's yeah. It's such a really insight into the the way in which these these processes work. You're still sort of still going through the final selection of the final pictures oh, where we record this on a Thursday. Certainly, I mean, I've shot so many hundreds. I mean, seven, eight hundred. I've actually lost count. Um, and there's still cities to visit. I've still, you know, Scunthorpe, Belfast, Bristol, uh, Barnsley, lots of bees. Um, you know, it's 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 an open project. It's an open kind of. Um, it's evolving all the time as well. It's, the, the scope to it, you know. So on this, just just quickly as well, just to run through the other stuff in the festival. A lot of it's sort of the way in which regeneration and housing works. I mean, that's something that they appear to be pushed across the whole program. They're using the Open Eye Gallery, the Victoria Gallery, the Museum, Museum of Liverpool, Central Library. It's going to be in that's tons right. of spaces across the city, and it is about sort of it, it, it's 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 twinning Liverpool and China, exploring ideas around cities and regeneration and housing, and that's where your work comes in because that's yeah. when you're taking pictures of things that have been there for thirty, forty years, that it's effectively yeah. something drawn on 
drawn on a wall. That's right. Part of what you're saying is, well, there ha- we, we talk a lot about regeneration because we can see bits of Liverpool, for instance, that have been regenerated, yeah. but there's whole swathes that, that haven't course. and haven't had that time and energy and investments. That's it. Well, the, the way I've shot the, fe- the, the, the project is the goals are just the name in, in the area they're from. So Beast and Leeds or, or Talks of Liverpool or Tory Grand Glasgow. All these neighbourhoods have one thing in common, that, and that's, you know, social and economic deprivation, you know, for, for generations, you know. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting project right the way across the board, and it's it's in the in the heart of everything that the that the festival's about at uh, the Liverpool International Photography Festival. On that, there's something else that they're doing called the Grid Project, and just to sort of let you know, on Saturday the 22nd of April, if you go to the Blue Coat, you'll get a Grid reference, uh, and then you go to that spot in Liverpool and take a picture, and those pictures will then be turned into a huge photographic map of the city, uh, and that's the that that's the again trying to sort of engage people in general and in, in photography, and I, I I think it's a, you know with reference to you doing the work. That you, that you do, Michael. Mm. I think that you know people. People are taking more pictures than ever. I think it's probably fair to say. So, but it's then the idea of finding a way to say, you know, that, that, that there's there's value to to every photograph that someone takes. Yeah. But to, to, sort of the curation of that process and and how these photographs are exhibited. That's that's one of the key parts. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And it's something which is you know right the way through the city. So if you should come and get involved. It's a fantastic festival. Uh, seen it around in the past. It's r- terrific stuff. And Michael's Urban Goals work will be at the Central Library. And it'll be there until the 27th of April from the 7th. He's about to have to run off now and finish it, <laughs> which is fantastic stuff. Uh, this is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. Let's get back to everybody else. And here is everybody else, Neil Atkinson, Melissa Reddy and John Gibbons. It's quite nice to do handovers to yourself. I might try and get rid of all these losers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just have a series of conversations from myself, back to, back to myself and all that sort of stuff. Great uh, point, Neil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I like this guy. Um, all that sort of thing. Uh, what would be terrifying would be to give Rob Gutman that software and that ability. Uh, he really would see a future for it. Find a way to disagree with himself. Uh, very much so. Yes. Um, listen, this weekend Satan Snods is on tomorrow from twelve. Uh, it says here the boys will be joining Connor Phillips uh, this Saturday. That'll be a ton of fun. John, you've done Satan Snods on Grand National Day. It is fair to say it's about the most fun you can actually have. <laughs> we were talking about that with Steve Hollis all this morning. Yeah, I had a great time with the boys at the National a few years ago. I played. Uh, I played. Trumpet on the on the um I was playing anyway, so kind of went along and did the the, you know, the Red Sea Blues competition. I Battle of the Mercy. Did. Battle of the Mercy, that's the one everyone knows it. And uh and basically the idea was if the Liverpool fan won, I'd play You'll Never Walk Alone, and if Everton fan won, I'd play uh Zay Cars, and you can obviously guess what happened. The Everton fan won. Yeah, sorry. I'll have snods. Snods was made up, but what a fella. I love him. I was happy to please Snods because he pleases me so much. He's a lovely man. A lovely, lovely man. So Incredible Sna- sentence. But for ages, but yeah. Liverpool went off the Liverpool's league form, went rubbish after that. And the fellow at the train station was kept blaming it on me playing Z cars on the radio. Glorious. I'm, I mean, correlation isn't causation, but I like to think it is in this instance. So they're back from 12 o'clock in the normal slot after the derby, looking ahead to the weekend's football and the Grand National, the winning jockey from 20 years ago. Tony Dobbin will be on the show as they talk about the goings on at Everton and Liverpool ahead of the games against Leicester and Stoke. And, you know, it's... Uh, big, Looking forward to the national. Um, yeah, I haven't had a look at all. I don't know if you have. Well, you're in a funny uh, position because you're going to Stoke, so it's all. Yeah, amazing. but it's quarter past five now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I reckon we can. I reckon we can race to it if we pick our pub wisely. I reckon we can get to a booze and watch it. Um, but yeah, quarter past five. But I haven't. I haven't had a look There's at all. that hotel that we recorded the post match show. Oh in, yeah, and they'll have it on the bar. That could be a good option. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've, I feel like I've nailed that for you. <laughs> but I would like to watch it. Yeah, but uh, I didn't have any luck yesterday. We went. We all went yesterday. Yeah, some some more loudly than others um and i i haven't uh, didn't have any luck yesterday so hopefully i can win a few quid saturday and I'll make up for it uh indeed you on the races yet mel no do you want to or you've got no interest no interest is fine 
no interest. The only thing I, I can remember about the races is when I was really young, My grand, both my grand, uh, grandfathers used to absolutely love it and would go to the tote all the time. And my my dad's dad put a bet on, on a horse that was called London News. And I think I might have only been like four or five, but I'll always remember because it won and like his cereal went everywhere. He was, <laughs> I'd, I'd never seen him so happy. Well, I, so, thought yeah. I thought he's just tomorrow as well as uh, the uh, Satan Snods of Ricardo Fuller and you and Roberts. Uh, lovely day out for them. Well, and Ricardo and you, and they played the cards right there. <laughs> uh, they're going to be talking about Stoke versus Liverpool and uh, Everton versus Leicester. And we were talking before about, you know, the top four picture, John, and three points there against Bournemouth. You can just look at the table and see what difference those yeah. two extra points would make right now. And that's that's why it is such a kick in the teeth, really, from a Liverpool perspective. It really is. It's it, You just think, you know, it's, the, the pressure's on them now, looking across the weekend. City have got a relatively straightforward game against Marco Silva's Hull, which therefore won't be relatively straightforward, but you still think they'll have too much. United are going to Sunderland, and Sunderland look absolutely abject at the moment. Yet Arsenal have got a really tough Monday night game against Crystal Palace, but they'll know what Liverpool have done. It would just be great to be able to look at the Stoke game, if not quite as a free hit, but as a game where you know what a point's all right. Yeah, was, that's the frustrating thing is that it beat Bournemouth, then you've been going into this thinking, you know, a point's not too bad, whereas now it feels like they need to win it. But in terms of psychologically as well, I think, I think for themselves, I think they could do with a big win. I think they could do with looking at each other and thinking, because I think these are the, generally speaking, the group of players who are going to be playing the next three, four games. I think there's, you know, we, I don't think Lallana's going to be back anytime very soon. I don't think Henderson either. And so you look at maybe the next three games that this is the group of players. And I think they could do with looking at each other and thinking, yeah, we've got faith in each other to get to get the other side of Crystal Palace. And then hopefully a few of the cavalry will come back to, to kind of see us over the line. So so I'm just hoping they, they can do the business of Stoke. I'm hoping they can they can through. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the best performance of all time, but if they can get through, they can get the three points. And then the, suddenly the results, the, the fixtures we've got start, start you know, look, looking at a bit easier because they've gone to Stoke and done what they've done. It's, it looks to me, Mel, like they've got to, there's seven games to go and they're going to need to win four of them minimum. Four of them, I think, I've I looked today. Rory Smith said he thinks 74 points will be enough. He actually said Liverpool need five wins for that. I think accurately Liverpool can do 74 points with four wins and two draws, one defeat in there. And that's why a draw isn't the absolute end of the world. But then it'll it'll just, it, 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 it'll, the, the pressure will just coil in on itself. Yeah. Going into West Brom then, which won't be straightforward. Very good from set pieces, physical battle. Yeah. It coils yeah. in on yeah. itself again. The, if they could just get this three points against Stoke it would make a world of difference to them absolutely and it would have been that much more gutting the late equaliser against Bournemouth because had they done that they could have then turned around to everyone talking about their record versus the bottom 10 and and, you know told themselves we've done it we did it at Burnley we've done it again now seven more to go let's keep churning them out let's get through this but now when you look at Stoke you're thinking Okay, Liverpool have conceded, or their expected goals, I think, is something around the 17 mark against the bottom 10, and they've conceded 27. So they're almost, you know, close to 10 over the mark on what they're supposed to do. They've conceded 12 against the top 10. So, you know, all these things start percolating and start circling. And I think that's why we saw that defensive change on 65 minutes, because there is this... Um, sort of overarching feel that everything is going to be a battle now. So, you know, those three points would have shown that, shown them that we can battle, we can get through it and, you know, get the other side. So the next seven aren't going to be that bad. Now with Stoke, 
I see John Walters is is ready to come back into the lineup who Liverpool, you know, just absolutely love playing against. So it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Peter Crouch as well should be available. He was on the bench in their last game. And they're obviously going to go quite direct. Trying to... It's, you say that, Mel, but I mean, Stoke in general, I mean, I'm fascinated by them um, because I think they're, they're currently a really good example of of a philosophically questionable football club. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But part of that is that they haven't won against a top 10 side since December 2015. And that is, you know, so something's got to give here. You know, if we want to say Liverpool's yeah. record, yeah. you know, they haven't got a win against a top 10 side, home or away since December 2015. And that was Everton. You know, this is a it's a strange situation that they're in Stoke where in the past you've seen them bloody noses, you've seen them rattling yeah, United yeah. sides and, and Arsenal sides. That but they themselves they've got themselves into this position where they're just they're, they're just a side that picks up points, John. They've always become a side that just picks up points, yeah. if you know what I mean. They just exist to and and that's what's driving their own supporters a bit mad. You know, a football club is like a shark, it has to keep moving forward or it dies. And you've got a set of supporters who think they've got a dead shark on their hands at the moment. And it it does seem like the sort of game where it, I spoke to a Stoke supporter today. It went all seriousness. I said prediction, and he went Liverpool four 0 and I was gobsmacked. You know, yeah. I was absolutely like because we're all sitting here going, you know, this could be a really tricky game for a variety of reasons. And he just honestly went bald as brass. Liverpool four 0 and he wasn't crying at him. And I think, I think what he's trying to say there is he thinks it could be really unpleasant tomorrow at that stadium if Liverpool score first. That they might, the same sort of psychological issues we talked yeah, about with yeah. Liverpool, they might find it hard if the Reds score first. Well, that's it. You can obsess about your own issues and obsess about you know things that might go wrong for you, but, you know, Stoke will be thinking about that. They're on a bad run as well. I think they've lost five of the last six or something yep. like that. And so, so they're not on a very good run at all, regardless of who they've been playing. And, you know, if they, if they haven't got the results against the top teams, and that kind of suggests that I think Stoke are just a team, um, you know, kind of falling between stools a little bit, really. And, and they've tried to move away from, from this style of football, but it hasn't really come to something. I'm thinking the Avon, Avon Barksdale quotas are not, not smart enough for them out there and maybe not tough enough for, uh, for, for, the, for the, on the streets. streets. And I think they've got, got, got into that kind of situation, really, where they've, they've said, oh, you know, we want to be kind of a footballer team now, but, but haven't kind of quite been able to keep hold of the players who were able to do it. And so kind of resorting back to the, to the, to the drives and testers like, like, like Crouchy, which is probably not where they felt like they, they were going to be at the start of the season. You think, you wonder if maybe if there's actually an argument that if they do start with someone like Crouch, that might actually suit us a little bit. Mel, certainly with Lucas playing, you know, he, the one thing he's shown he's very good at is, is sweeping up in front of those defenders, is, is winning those second balls, those little bits. There, there's actually an argument that we could do with Stoke overplaying the direct angle that we'd be we'd, we'd struggle more if they were if they if they were yes direct but direct and pacey than if they choose to sort of go direct yeah. and, and 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 play in front of this Liverpool side with the exception obviously of set pieces. They did that the last time and got beat four. And I think the last two results have been Liverpool four, Stoke one. They've only won one in the last seven. Let's not talk about that one too much. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just forget it. But. I, they do have a tendency, I think, to, um, and Mark Hughes has spoken about this before, but, you know, Liverpool's weaknesses aerially and uh, don't like to fight for second balls, but Liverpool actually do enjoy that, enjoy the duels, enjoy battling for it. They may not win everyone, like uh, Gibbo said earlier, uh, but, you know, not just Lucas, Emery Shan as well enjoys that that sort of battle. Um and I do think they can get hurt if they if they don't mix it up a bit. If they don't try, like you say, to infuse some pace. If if they're just going to yeah. keep going long all the time, 
it, um, it, diminishing returns. I mean, you know, it, it's yeah. uh, one of the things that, for instance, Bournemouth did very, very well against us at, uh, you know, both home and away was, for instance, the introduction of someone like Fraser, who yeah. clearly rattles Liverpool because of his busyness, but also because he's he's got that spring of pace. Yeah. He's not the he's not the biggest. In fact, he's literally one of the smallest on the pitch. But he really unsettles Liverpool. It's also the variety. He's like Maradona. It's the variety. If you if you're getting used to just heading away a long ball, it just it becomes natural. Then you're just in the groove of heading away a long ball, heading away a long ball. But if you change it up and you've suddenly got pace, I think that's what Jurgen Klopp said about uh, Fraser in the you know in the reverse fixture at Bournemouth. So suddenly they've got you know a completely different fella to deal with, skill set the complete opposite, and then you've got to you know you've got to adjust everything the way you were thinking, the way you were shaping your body, um, and that causes problems. And you know in the space that you're adjusting, they can hurt you. Um, Liverpool's approach then: no Mane, no Coutinho, no Atkinson, no Lallana, no Henderson. Uh, what would you do, John? <laughs> well, the Atkinson's a big blow. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm ruling myself out. There's not. There's not I mean, the, the Coutinho one isn't guaranteed, is it? I think they're going to see how he illness, is tomorrow. If he misses out through illness, given Liverpool's current injury predicament, I'd actually be. So I'd be taken aback by that. Yeah. So I think I will, they might they might decide to hold him back on the bench and just think just in terms of what his energy levels are likely yeah. to be in terms of you know if he's if he's not been able to keep food down or so I don't know what's wrong with him but apparently he was he was vomiting a half time in the other game so if he's if he's struggling energy levels they might decide well we'll throw him on the bench and use him last twenty it does feel like an opportunity to to start with Sturridge and, and Origi as a front two and then just think well we'll just we could do something quite solid behind them because we, that's that's a real dangerous front pairing. They'll know better than me, you know, where storage is at in terms of his, his fitness, in terms of, you know, how, how many minutes he's got. But if you just say, well, look, we're going to give you 60 or 70, and then, and then we've got, then fills your change. I'd like to see that. It's Firmino in a slightly deeper role, but, you know, we can go with that and maybe sort of diamond it and just, and just, and then, because then that allows you, I think, to, to the three guys behind them, the three midfielders, you, you've played a lot of football recently. I'd be feeling quite tough. I think it allows them, you know, you don't, you don't have to be running around like, you know, maniacs, you know what I mean? You can be quite compact because we've got these, you know, three superstars in front of you, hopefully going to um, shoot us to victory. You just want the similar, Mel? I think it would be interesting if he does go two up top. Uh, Sturridge has had more training sessions under his belt, the ability to get sharp or the opportunity to get sharper, I should say. So he's definitely an option. Um, you've, you've still got, you know, Firmino who will be able to do the work. You've got Origi as well who will be able to do the work. He keeps talking about formation changes, though, and, and switching up the system, and he hasn't done it drastically yet, or he's yeah. not done it from the off yet. And, you know, one of the things he referenced is not having enough time on the on the training pitch to work with it. And he's not had that, again, because we've got yeah. three games in a week. Um, so I don't know. I think because everything's so tight, and, you, you know, you spoke about that coil, if you do change things drastically and it doesn't work, is that then more of a psychological blow than yeah. than keeping it relatively the say? Uh, the, I mean, the, the Sturridge thing is what I would say is, and the reason why I probably argue for it, to be honest with you, it's in been this done game, before. Yeah. Like he's done it before. He's done, yeah. it the, he's done it. He did it last season. He's done it in the League Cup this yeah. season. Yeah. We've seen it. We know what it looks like. I think it'd be a bit of a challenge for Firmino, but I back Firmino to sort of to think his way through that because he's a clever player. Yeah. You know, and then and, and as John says, the three behind. Well, Emre Chan was playing in some of those League Cup games. Wijnaldum was playing in some of those League Cup games, and I refuse to believe Lucas Leiva can't play at the base of a diamond. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just I refuse to believe he'd be going. Well, I don't know how to do that's, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I think that could be the one because they, you know. 
they've seen it work and and this time on the training pitch to work on it is a is a big thing because he keeps yeah uh referencing it the other thing i think that shape gives as well mel is actually i think it makes it easier to make the changes from the bench involving the young lads you've got then got a couple of places you can bring alexander arnold on you've got a couple of places you could bring woodburn on i think if you make that sort of if, if that's the shape to start with i actually think it becomes easier to introduce the younger players onto the pitch as a change if that's what he thinks it needs Absolutely. I, I'm just so, I think this is a game or this is probably one of the hardest games to call when you're thinking about the lineup, yeah. you know, from an outside perspective, because it is a third game in a week, but Liverpool don't have the luxury of all their top options to sort of, you know, shift and, and just nip and tuck here and there and, and keep quality on the bench to bring on this there's little maneuvering with personnel, but a lot of maneuvering that he can do um, in terms of the system. The fact that he speaks about pushing Milner forward openly means it's probably one of the top things he's thought about as well. Uh, so going to be really, really interesting to see what the lineup is like. What do you think, John? Uh, very, very quickly. What do you think he's going to do? <laughs> I'll be surprised. I don't know. I think he'll give Coutinho every chance to start. I think if he can start Coutinho, he will. I don't think I'd be surprised if he starts Sturridge out of nowhere. I don't think that's that's really with his style. But then he's been talking up in the, in the press a little bit more this week, so maybe I think there might be a shock either way. But I think if he can get Coutinho on the pitch, he will. Uh, prediction for the score, John. Uh, now I've heard that Stoke fan. I'm going to go two one to Liverpool. Two one to Liverpool earlier today. You were. You I were. went up for a draw. Yeah, uh, Mel. 3-1 Liverpool. 3-1 Liverpool. Mel says rolling her eyes up to the heavens as though she's trying to sort of will it into being <laughs> as much as anything else. It's going to be a really interesting game. I keep calling it the Britannia. I think it's called something else now. It's not yeah, a sponsor's right. name. We know, where it is. we know exactly where it is. It is in Stoke-on-Trent. Listen, we've had a huge amount of fun uh, with the Anfield app today. Coming back to do a live show. We're going to do another one in the next month or so. I'm going to try and give Dave Downey a little bit more notice and hopefully he won't be won't have been on the day out of his life beforehand. <laughs> uh, as we can settle down. Listen, whatever you're doing over the weekend, very, I hope you've had a great day if you've gone the races today if you're going to have a fantastic day tomorrow with the National you've got the opportunity to do so and you can watch Liverpool come up against the Stoke City side that they very much need to win it's a hell of a game at the weekend Stoke versus Liverpool it feels as though almost all the chips ride on it that might be slightly incorrect that might be slightly unfair but a kick off at 3pm you're going to be thinking of nothing else up the Reds Sports Social Podcast Network Oh, 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 O'Reilly you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.